Hey, uh, hey, everybody. This is Preston, and I've got a soon-to-be good friend, Amy Guerrero. Is that right? Guerrero. Okay. Guerrero. There we go. The gringo version. I always get super nervous when I'm saying someone's last name, um, but you say it much better. Um, <laughs> and I saw Amy on Sober Motivation doing a Friday Night Live, and she's got a business called Thrive in Recovery. Amy, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Yes. Thank you so much, Preston. It's so great to be in the company of you. And I love that we were both born and raised in Texas where oh, small world <laughs> where you properly say my name, Amy Guerrero. And... Yeah, <laughs> but I don't I, expect I, anybody to roll their R's like I do. <laughs> look, I actually at one point in my life, I was pretty good at it, not only growing up in Texas, but I actually lived in South America for five uh, months. And then I also spent six weeks in Mexico. So I, I was actually really good. But I realized when we got off the phone and I attempted to roll my R's, it's absolutely terrible. And it actually <laughs> takes practice. So I, I, I didn't uh, I didn't put myself out there and, and screw it up. So <laughs> anyway, oh, well, we're all about having fun here. Yeah, yes. Um, hi, y'all. My name is Amy Guerrero. And thank you so much again for having me here. I am a recovery life coach. And I own a business called Thrive and Recovery. I'm the owner and I'm the practitioner. So um, I support sober people, people choosing a, what I call a conscious sober lifestyle to have the love they want and thrive in all areas of their life and their relationships with money, with people, with their body, with food, with everything. So um, ugh, I'm, it's such an honor and uh, blessing to be able to do this work, especially over the last you know, five months, I've learned so much about the support that people really didn't know how to ask for. Mm. And, um, oh, wow, just like holding that space to say, like, it's okay. You're allowed to ask for that. Like, I'm here mm. and I'm ready to serve you. So um, that's what my business is. And as the, as the business owner and as the head practitioner, um, you know, I get to, to do things exactly how I want to do them and serve people at the level that I want to serve them at. And so it's just a really beautiful experience to bring into the recovery space and beyond. What uh, you mentioned practitioner, do you um, do you have any kind of licensure or anything like that? Or is it from your own experience? What's that look like? Yeah, so um, I have lots of certifications and I chose not to get licensed because then I have to follow rules. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I have the education as if I was licensed. However, I didn't go that route because it just it it inhibits my practice, right? And yeah. I know the work because I get to see it transform people's lives moment to moment every day, and I get to do the things I want to do on my terms and on their terms, right? With permission, always. Sure. And um, it, it helps me and supports me to bring in all of my somatic modalities. And then just the science of it and, and then other more traditional forms, right? Because I believe truly that all forms of recovery are, are awesome and valid and they all work in different ways. And when we can really support people to have a, a complete integrative experience with their life, that's when people go from that surviving day to day to thriving and, and knowing that it's possible from within them. Because I truly believe that everyone is their own healer. And as a guide, I support them to understand, to trust themselves. And, you know, that's so much of my story as well. 
Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, for the listeners, the reason I think that's an important thing to look at is oftentimes, Amy, we talk about the challenge navigating, not only trying to get someone to say, okay, I think I'll ask for help uh, in, in an effort that this whole podcast is, is structured for, which is to normalize counseling, therapy, recovery, and support groups. But once you decide and say, I think I'm going to hire a counselor, I think I'm going to get a therapist, then you've got to navigate the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. You've got to, you know, what is it, what do you mean you're not licensed because then you have to follow rules or, or, you know, what does it mean when insurance will cover things or not cover things? And I think that that's, um, you know, it's so valuable to hear many different forms and variations because my wife has a, been a life coach for eight years and and she's helped a ton of people, as you have as well. And there's things that, that she can do and that you can do that a therapist can't. And they can't because they're licensed in the, you know, in the healthcare system and the government says they can't. And there's good reasons for that. I actually had a therapist on uh, one of my last, I think it's out right now. Uh, a therapist who's a licensed therapist and she's so good, but yet there's things that you can say that she can't. And, you know, you're both helping people and um, you know, it's, it makes it part of the, the muddiness of the mental health and addiction industry is it's hard to get answers. It's hard to understand what the differences are. And so I'm interested to hear, you know, us flesh that out and, and, and just hear, uh, learn more about your practice and, and your perspective. Cause I think for the vast majority of listeners, they don't understand the difference between a therapist, uh, trauma informed care, a counselor, a life coach, a, a volunteer, a spot. They, most people don't even, they have no concept. <laughs> well, yeah. And I just want to absolutely 100%. And, um, the most important thing for everyone is that you feel safe. Mm period. If the nervous system can't find a place of safety, of true safety in the body, then it doesn't matter who you're working with, a peer, a sponsor, a therapist, a PhD with 17 million things behind their name, you know, me, a coach, you, right, your brother, your sister, it doesn't matter. If the nervous system cannot find that place of safety, then the healing is not possible from yeah. that discomfort. So the mainest thing, as my daddy would say, the is mainest the mainest thing is to feel safe. And, you know, I know that so many people get just so frustrated in the, in the systems because they, they, they don't feel safe. So they lie and yeah. they don't tell the practitioners what is actually happening. And, you know, from that space, we can trick ourselves into thinking, well, I go to therapy every week. Yeah. Or I do this every week, or I go to yoga, or I, you know, I started to eat well, but I pound sugar at night, right? Like we're, we're as a human, we're so tricky with ourselves and our subconscious and our conscious minds can just send us on a little (laughs) adventure. (laughs) And the, when I I just want to say it again, the main thing, is for you to feel safe in your body so that you share openly and completely and you're, and you're really available to receive that healing. That's so possible for every human. That's such a good point because I often say 
say it in a way that if if we can't get down to the roots, if we can't get down to what's really going on, we're actually we're actually trying to come up with a solution or we're actually trying to diagnose something based on the wrong stuff. So it's no wonder if someone doesn't feel comfortable enough to tell the, the full, full truth, that therapist, that person that's trying to help you, et cetera, is, is diag- it, we're trying to come up with solutions based on, on, on the, the wrong thing. Therefore, no wonder the solutions don't work. No wonder you go home and pound sugar at night. No wonder you can't get it. And it, and the roots, what it really gets back down to is if you don't feel safe being your true self or sharing what's really going on for real, for real, it's going to be very difficult to make long lasting change, which I feel like that's the, the, the goal and purpose is to dig down into the trauma and dig down into the feelings and dig down into the subconscious and figure out like, what is that thing that is causing me to act in a way that intellectually I know I do not want to act. Mm-hmm. Intellectually, I know that what I'm doing is is giving me more of what I don't want, but I cannot change my behavior. And oftentimes it's because I don't have someone I feel safe enough with to be honest enough with that can help me kind of get down into the, the nitty gritty stuff that's that's under the surface. Absolutely. Um, the nervous yeah, system. I, I really like how you said, said that uh, about feeling safe. You know, pe- people say, oh, I don't know what it is, but I really feel comfortable with Amy or I don't know what it is. Is I, I really, you know, uh, I feel like they listen to me. That What that means is you feel safe. Exactly. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. And, um, you know, safe is something that we I even I remember, you know, when I first started to um, tell my parents that I didn't feel safe in their presence. They were so, their feelings were so hurt. Yeah. That's uncomfortable. Yeah. It was so uncomfortable. (laughs) And, and what I was really saying was like my nervous system did not have an off switch. I was just in the sympathetic response of, of fight or flight because uh, my unhealed emotional and physical trauma and they, you know, I grew up in that house. I grew up with them and, and so when I said, I remember the first time I said it, they were just dumbfounded. Like, what do you mean you don't feel safe? What? Right. And, and I didn't, and it was really difficult to explain. And now on the other side of, you know, everything, my parents can really understand like, Oh, now we get it. Be- but it took them watching me. Yeah. Right. To see what safety felt like in my body. And, right. um, so, you know, we're all little unique human beings and our history and our environment equals our behaviors. And in order to transform our behaviors and, and choose differently, it requires us first to feel safe in our body. And then we can access the smarter parts of our brain. And as you were saying, intellectually make a decision to choose differently. And that's yeah. what the whole recovery process is. It's a series of choosing differently right it's like the same shit happens and you choose to handle it in a responsive way that feels different not always the right way or the wrong way i don't believe in those words really but you choose differently right Right. (laughs) you know i think that's such a it's such a deep and interesting topic because particularly around drug and alcohol addiction uh food disorders um, even a lot of mental health issues is the 
uneducated person, not that they're mean, not that they're, you know, um, you know, uh, in, un, in compassion, I don't know what the proper word is there, but a lot of times people think, well, it's just a choice. You know, you just, you're choosing to do that. You're choosing to act like that. And I think the, the area in which a lot of people can identify is like with eating or with health. Like so many people, everybody knows how to lose weight. Everybody knows how to get in shape. And if you don't, with a couple basic free YouTube searches, you can figure it out. But what is that within you that knows that you need to be more healthy or you need to lose a little bit of weight or you need to stop putting certain things in your body um, and be more active? What is that deep within you that that prevents you from doing that? And that's any there might be people that don't understand over drinking or doing drugs there might be people that don't understand excessive overweight or you know some of these really extreme risky behaviors but almost everybody can identify with health doing things that are the opposite of what they know they're supposed to do and they in that like what you said they kind of like we're really smart and intelligent. We trick ourselves. We, we, we explain it away. And then we look up 20 years later and go, Oh, why do we have heart disease? Like, well, you know, we, and you know, it's like, it's so obvious, but like, if you're, if, if it was just intellect, if it was just our intelligence making the decisions or knowing then why, why is anybody having any kind of issues? It's so much deeper than that. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And you know, what we're learning more and more, and it's catching up with the science and something that I've been studying for over 15 years is that it's the bottom up approach. It's that it all starts in the body. We have these emotional responses in our body. We have this unhealed trauma in our body, whether it's emotional or physical, and we create and develop patterns to keep, to keep ourselves alive, right? Like I had created so many patterns of looking good on the outside and just freaking dying on the inside. But from the outside looking in, you thought my life was fucking phenomenal. Excuse me, I don't know if we cuss on this. Um, um, You thought my life was just so phenomenal on the outside. And I was, I just, I developed a pattern that hid all of my pain. And that helped me survive and even somewhat thrive on the outside for so long. And when we develop these patterns, we develop these really thick, narrow pathways of this is how I do it, this is how I do it, this is how I do it, then we, you know, we don't have that, or I didn't have, let me say this, I didn't have access or feel safe to start showing my truth, to start showing my vulnerability, to start showing how much pain I was in, because my pattern was designed and my nervous system is designed, everyone's nervous system is designed just to keep us safe, period. So when I started to choose to really tell people how I was actually feeling on the inside, my nervous system was like, this isn't safe. So keep doing this, you know, and you see this with health all the time. You know, people are like, I want to, you know, feel this way. I call it like living in your right sized body. I want to feel, you know, better in my body. And every time I start to lose the emotional, the physical, the spiritual weight, and feel different in my body, the pattern comes back up because it's going down a new pathway that it's never been on before. So it's a dark road. So when I tell people like, I'll be your guide down that dark road, 
I mean it because we're creating new neural pathways that it's safe to go down that new road and to be in that new space. And, and if we think about it that simply, then who doesn't want to, to, you know, go out there and and admit that they need some support and some help and just like, I want to go down a dark road. I've never been down before. And so I need some (laughs) help to do that. (laughs) You know, I really love using the word guide, right? There's nothing wrong with having a guide. We all need guides and, um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're guided by the forces that are bigger than us all of the time, whether we're listening or not, you know, and that's a choice too. So it's like we were born to be guided. I think that's, uh, you know, cause so much of my just personal recovery, mentoring, sponsoring, et cetera, experience with counselors or therapists, the really good ones are, you know, basically you said intuitively, maybe I'm, I'm misquoting, but intuitively, everyone intuitively kind of knows what's right for them and what feels safe, et cetera. But they don't know it because they're not in a, they're not used to talking that way. They're not used to looking in those areas. And they, what they really need is someone to ask them questions, invoke thoughts and feelings and go, huh, that's interesting. And, and then to ask like, well, what feels right? You know, but if you don't have that help, if you don't have that guide, that person that's helping you figure it out, oftentimes you don't tell anybody you're trying to figure out on your own and you're wondering why you keep backing yourself into a corner to do things that you say you don't want to do. Right. Or put yourself in dangerous situations or uh, relationships that you don't want to be in and you're going, I don't understand. This is just the way I am. And a guide is the one that helps move you into a little bit of different direction and and it's just been so valuable um for me and and it sounds like uh for you as well why don't you do this amy um you talked a little bit about trauma and background and feeling safe and whatnot why don't you tell us a little bit about your story how you grew up and and maybe some i don't you know be just share what you're comfortable with but like what kind of experiences you had that caused you know you to go down these paths yeah absolutely so just for the listeners um, if you do want to know more about anything, I'm really an open book. So I will share everything because I feel like it's such an important part of, of, of the healing process just to hear from others. And um, my, my, my childhood was not great. Um, I came from a lot of intergenerational trauma where, um, where my mom um, was, was sexually abused by her father most of her life. And, um, and just really had a lot of, you know, physical and emotional trauma from those experiences. And so when she did get pregnant, I think it was a pretty quick decision that she was not fit to raise me. And, um, so it was just, you know, I was born into like a difficult situation and it manifested in my little body right away. My dad stuck around, um, and my grandma raised me for the first few years of my life. I was raised in my grandparents' house. Um, mm. However, I started to show signs of trauma right away. Like, I was very sick. Um, I was constipated um, from a very young age. I'd have to go to the hospital on a regular basis to get enemas. Um, I didn't um, – I was very intuitive, and so I could feel everything. And 
Um, I had. Is that from being sick uh, often with uh, high levels of cortisol? So stress response, fear, uh, oftentimes having real major digestive issues and things like that. Would you? I mean, that's a very uneducated way of. Well, it's of, a very uh, it's, it's a very great way so that the listeners understand too. So I love what you just said. Yeah. Yes. So right. as like a just popped out, you know, like I was not wanted. And I wasn't breastfed and I wasn't all those things. And so the first thing that happened was all of the stress responses. So adrenaline and cortisol start running through my body, which, again, let's go back to the nervous system. The nervous system is just designed to keep you safe. So it's working so hard to keep me safe. It's not going to allow me to go into rest and digest to actually poop. So, I mean, as young as being in diapers, I was already constipated. Well, I think what's interesting about that, uh, Amy, and you mentioned uh, some words that I love, which is intergenerational. Mm -hmm. Um, Number one, we talk about uh, epigenetics as a new field of study, but how trauma is passed down multiple generations in a row. And if we just without getting too out there, because some people can shut off if we get a little bit too out there, but just if your mother had a stressful pregnancy and had her own feelings of you know, trauma and not being wanted and stress and, 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 and fear, et cetera, passed down to you. And then you're experiencing it right away. And so how, how many things from our past are passed down from our parents and grandparents and just environmental that, that lead us down the road of, you know, whatever the the behavior or challenges and struggles that someone may have a hundred percent it's beautiful that how you said it and it's something that you know i am passionate about bringing forward in the world because especially in our recovery spaces because the first thing that i tell people is it's not your fault right you developed all of these patterns all of these behaviors all of these survival instincts all these survival patterns to to stay alive to stay alive and and i know from in my story you know drugs and alcohol helped me stay alive my first suicidal thoughts were young and you know shortly after i think it was in seventh grade when i like i I have a journal where i was like writing about like i don't want to be here this is not where i want to be and those aren't you know like we're that young i'm that young i'm already feeling all of these feelings Like that to me is just so much proof that like I was going to be the transitional character in my family to say this, this stuff, this, this trauma ends with me. Now I had no idea it was going to end up in like me choosing a conscious sober lifestyle and all these things. However, I did know like not very many people are thinking and talking like, right, exactly. I'm just like, I want to feel better. And when I found alcohol, um, I loved it, you know, I absolutely loved it. And it was in that same time period, it was around seventh grade when I found alcohol. And I was like, oh, this is so fun. You know, this is, this helps me to tell the truth. This helps me to not feel so weird because I was already kind of the uh, Austin girl in San Antonio, Texas. Like I was all very, very much like into like this holistic way of living and understanding things and the people around me definitely didn't have that same um open-mindedness that I did so when I found alcohol I was like woohoo this is great like this is helping me feel better in my skin it's supporting me to 
um, kind of fake it, you know, like. Was, was alcohol a big part of your, uh, the culture of how you grew up with your parents and grandparents? You know, that's an interesting question. Um, I know that my mom's dad, um, had, you know, I mean, obviously he had a lot of trauma. He was, you know, having sex with his daughter and, um, and he also drank excessively. Of course, I didn't really hear those stories until I got into treatment. So that was years and years later, because so much of my, my mom and my stepdad just wanted to protect me from, you know, from my mom and, and, and all the things that she, anyways, it's like such a long story, but my mom and dad wanted to protect me. So I didn't know much about my birth mom. And, you know, my right. focus on relationships has so much to do with that because, you know, whatever we don't know, we want to know, right? So ho- hold on. Did I, did, um, maybe I missed something. Were you adopted or? I was wasn't the... because my dad stuck around. So my dad raised so, me. So hang on. So your, your birth mom was the one that was molested by her father, mm-hmm. right? And then she got pregnant with you and uh, your grandmother and father raised you from and she what just went on uh with her life i'm guessing is that is that pretty much yeah yep and then she would make cameos every once in a while and that was not good for me and so you were raised you were raised by your dad and stepmom and grandpa okay okay yeah Yeah, i got it my grandma died around seventh grade as well (laughs) all these things happened in seventh grade so basically i lost my mom in seventh grade (sighs) I, every time I tell the story, a little bit more comes out and I have this feeling of like, it really wasn't my fault. <laughs> you know, like I did not have tools. No one was teaching me how to, I, I hid in my closet for months. Like every time I would get home from school, I would just sit in my closet with my grandmother's pink slippers and just hold on to them. And no one was teaching me how to grieve or any of those things. And again, it's no one's fault. It's just you know, the lack of, and the stigma around mental health, especially in like a Mexican family in Texas, that was, you know, very middle-class, we did not talk about mental health. And even though I, they did have to intervene very young in my life with, um, with counselors at the schools because they could tell that something was up. Um, But, you know, again, the models in the seventies and eighties are, much different we were not we did not have trauma-informed language in the 70s and 80s in texas that's for sure right. so you know i think one of the the things that i'm really interested in is is um i found adult children of alcoholic and dysfunction it's a, a 12-step fellowship i don't know how I familiar yep. you are with that but how even just looking back in our generation uh in in our generations like my father was an alcoholic that was heavy drinking in our uh circles our parents were you know quote unquote responsible productive members of society business owners etc and part of the you know in adult children they talk about looking back in your generations and looking for mental health and uh, uh other areas in which um, may have kind of passed down this trauma and they put a big emphasis on 
even when it doesn't involve drugs and alcohol in the home and how similar these households that may have not had heavy drinking or heavy drug use in the home, but they had a, you know, like my mom was raised in a Church of Christ children's home, given up at the age of about six because her mom was in and out of a mental institution. Her grandmother had mental health issues. My my grandparents, great-grandparents on my father's side, one of them committed mm-hmm. suicide. And, and how so many people go, well, I didn't, people didn't drink around us or, you know, maybe my, I never saw my parents drink or my grandparents drink, but you know, the, the play of like how strict religious or military backgrounds played, how uh, this um, high achieving, like nothing's ever enough, no matter what you do. It's not like how similar the through line is uh, with, with with the trauma um, and, and what that develops into, whether it's with drug and alcohol addiction or mental health. It's just fascinating. You, you can't. And I think so many people go. Well, I didn't have a dysfunctional <laughs> household. Aren't we? we were in the middle class? I mean, we, you know, and they, and it's like they honestly yeah. don't know. Well, and nor did and this I. This is where right? this podcast, this conversation, everything that I've been doing in the recovery space since 2014 is so important because making it about the substance is the easy way out. Period. You know, right. like when when sponsors wanted to focus on just the alcohol with me, I was like. Mm-mm. I, I just can't work with you. Like, this is so much deeper than that. Well, just don't drink today. I'm like, oh, no. Like, that's just not at all. Like, drinking saved me, right? So, like, going to those deep, deep, deep places. Yes, don't drink today and, period, right? Like, there's just, yeah. there, don't do drugs, right? Like, don't have sex. Don't have, you know, don't do all of these things. And if you look at the MRI scans and 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 for people that are out there, you can Google this stuff, right? of these behaviors of these um you know i i really try to stay away from those like pathologizing words so in families where there was a lot of emotional or physical trauma um if you look at the brains the of that and then someone with um with a substance that used a substance they're not going to be that different right like they're still going to yeah. have underdeveloped hippocampus and i don't want to get into all the science if you want to know more about this listeners, just let me know, but there's still so many parts of the brain that don't get to get developed. And most importantly, y'all, we don't get to have the childhoods that like we're meant to have. And that is what's so important, like developing a relationship with your inner child and you're choosing any path of recovery, whether it's from physical, emotional trauma, from substances, from, you know, from, from, from a grieving process, from anything that you're, you're recovering from, you know, just getting in touch with those parts of ourselves that maybe never got to develop and choosing to develop Mm. them in our adult life and to reparent ourselves is so profoundly powerful. And I think it's, um, I think one thing for me, and I've talked a little bit about this on the podcast, which is, getting comfortable with the word trauma because I, you know, in so many ways, like I had a good upbringing. My parents were, they did a good job. They, uh, I mean, my mom going from a, from being so dirt poor, my aunt remembers them wearing the same clothes seven days in a row, losing their shoes and going to school with no shoes on, then sent to a children's home. Talk about, you know, being Mm -hmm. abandoned and and all the issues. Um, And to go from that to getting with my father and having a business. And, and, and again, we were, 
I even, and I've had to have multiple conversations with my mom about this because she's like one of, you know, she's one, one of my 10 listeners, <laughs> but, um, but just say like, look, I want to, I want to be able to talk about this stuff, but I also don't want to, you know, my mom to feel like she failed as a mother because she was just doing the best she could with what she had. She had no concept of intergenerational trauma. She had no, she has even probably still today, she probably has no concept of how much abandonment, shame and guilt that she's taken on as an adult and inadvertently pass that down to us. And, 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 um, and even for me, like even before I found the adult children, the fellowship, I, I would always say, like, I feel like a boy. I feel mm. like a little boy. I feel like a little boy trapped in a man's body trying to figure out where is this stuff coming from. And I've been sober for years and years and years. I've done a lot of work. I've done a lot of sponsoring. I've done, gotten a lot of help from, from people. And I still feel like a little boy trying to figure it out. And, um, and uh, again, this idea of trauma, like, I think of trauma as PTSD, being molested by your father, being beaten and banned. Like I think of that and anything else is not trauma. So I've had to really like work through that. So I don't minimize my traumatic experiences, even though they may not have been traumatic to someone else. They, they did something in my brain. They made me feel a certain way and I still reflect back to them. um, Even though it, it was, maybe small in a, in a, uh, on the scale of traumatic experiences. Yes. Does that make sense? So I get, I guess I just like that you're talking about this because I just, I've, I, I'm still working on my own, you know, understanding of it. Uh, even though I like talking about it, it just sometimes, it's just uncomfortable sometimes. It's is, so is uncomfortable. And, um, and I love what you said. I always, I love, I don't, I always use that word like, Oh, it makes you feel some kind of way. I can see that. Right. And, and that's <laughs> right, enough right there, right. period. And, and, you know, I know in my, in my roots and my generations, like um, it, there was a consistent battering of, you know, that's not how you feel like telling me that I, how I was feeling was bad or wrong because they didn't feel it themselves. Right. And, you know, that what we refer to as complex emotional trauma are all those little things and it's interesting in my experiences of supporting people we get through the big traumas much more quickly than we get through the small traumas so we call it big t and little t and the little traumas those you know those little things that were consistently told to you or that you heard and the stories that you make up about yourself because of those things that you consistently hear are the things that you know we do um, roll around in our subconscious mind and that affect our behaviors and our actions day to day and moment to moment. And so what you're explaining with almost 19 years of recovery is very similar to people that I support that have 30 years in the rooms. And, you know, they're just like, I never thought about this stuff. And, you know, to, to, for me to be able to witness a, a, you know, a man get in touch with his little boy and for us to like get to play with them (laughs) is probably the most fun that I get to have um, and the, and then to watch their relationships transform because they get in touch with this curiosity and this play that they've wanted to explore their whole adult life but felt you know weird about doing it I'm like no more of that go do more of that you know it's 
fun. Yeah. You know, I think it's funny. It, it's funny, and I haven't really thought about this until you uh, said it, is also exploring this idea oh. of masculinity which is um, another reason why I want people to hear these type of conversations because it fe- like when I talk about it, it feels uncomfortable. Like even just to say, I feel like a little boy feels unmasculine or to be able to, like you said, you're like, let's talk, let's put, yeah, pull the little boy out and all this kind of stuff. And it's so cool. And my instinct is, Oh, it's not really <laughs> masculine or it's, uh, you know, it, and it, and again, intellectually, I know that sounds okay. preposterous, but my, that like yes. stomach turn that, you know, whatever. And I just, um, I, I have to imagine how difficult it must be for so many people because I still have that initial reaction with all this experience and, and recovery and personal development, and whatever. And, and I just think of those large amount and probably the vast amount of our society have no experience with talking like this. And just even the hint at maybe, you know, going through our history or something that makes them feel uh, um, unmasculine. They're just like, screw that shit. I'm not even going to go there. You know, um, uh, untangling the conditioning is such a big part of the work that I do with people and um, I just love that you said that. So everyone can identify with that little like turn that we feel in the bottom of our stomach that just like sends us into that um, freeze state of like, oh, no, we are not going there. And then you're and that's when your pattern comes right. up. That's when the pattern that keeps you alive comes up and says, oh, whatever. I don't need that. I don't want that. You know, um, yeah. and the conditioning of what a masculine person is like if you were to look at my life. Um, you would say that I've been, you would see from all the businesses I've owned and all of the things that I've done and my very utilitarian spirit and my entrepreneurial spirit that I have a very strong masculine energy, right? I'm gender, Mm. uh, identify as she, her, and as a woman and, and prefer men as my partners. However, I am super masculine in so many ways. And one thing that I Mm. remind people of when they go on this journey with me is that we are going to um, really explore the the divine feminine in everyone. And I work with, you know, I have a lot of experience with men in the military, with um, very, very masculine men with a lot of complex trauma. And to watch them Mm. come into their playful spirits and and really their loving vulnerable amazing hearts that are in there and get comfortable being in that space and then share that with their partners I mean there's just nothing more beautiful because we're we all are the feminine and the masculine energy now the conditioning of our world and right now in this moment as we record this podcast the conditioning of the world is so clear right? Like, you know, we've been conditioned to think so many different ways. And again, it's not our fault. So much of this is just burned onto our subconscious mind. And we act in ways to protect ourselves. So again, like to go back all the way back, it's all this thing of like, like, in order to start to feel safe, we have to practice, we have to practice these things. Like we don't, 
you don't go into the swimming pool and just like automatically feel safe or like for me like learning to surf I didn't just go into the ocean and be like oh, okay I got this I was like holy shit what's going on in here right and so I had to practice <laughs> right. I had experiences of getting held under the water or whatever I had to go back in so that I didn't burn that imprint onto my subconscious and then never get into the water again right so um Again, right. all of this is bottom up stuff. This is like, we got to get our bodies comfortable. So when you feel that turn in your stomach to tell on yourself and be like, you know what, I really want to hear more about that. And I feel like I'm going to throw up. So I often, I often, <laughs> you'll hear this from me often, but I'm like, it's okay, let's fake throw up together. Like, nah, you know, and just fake right. throw up because that's what our, our bodies want to have the experience of like, oh, this doesn't feel good. So I'm going to like, let it express itself and then keep going. And so often we stop our bodies right. from expressing themselves. You know, I, I wiggle and shake and make all kinds of weird noises and just do whatever expression that my body needs to let out. And it's healthy, right? But we've made it weird or odd yeah. or duh. I'm like burping and farting is actually energy moving through your body. It's okay. you know. Like to naturalize right. the human experience is so much of what we're talking about right now. Yeah. My, my wife is pretty good with that. And, and a part of her practice both personally and what she does with with her clients have have a lot to do with moving that energy around and getting that kind of you know after having an intense session or whatever to just shake it out and and it allows her to you know uh, and um, to to move on or to you know and I've, I've always kind of rolled my eyes at it if i'm if i'm totally honest i'm like oh come on but i think you're right in how much i i i just swallow that i just stuff it I just, you know, that, that is kind of like my natural instinct is to go, you know, swallow it down. Let's keep it moving. I don't want to get too high, high, too low, low emotionally, because when I get too high, high and too low, low, I start making, you know, irrational decisions, et cetera. And the truth is what it does is I make a lot of, uh, I don't have a, I don't typically make those <laughs> yep. decisions. I stay safe. And so I, from the outside, it looks like great decisions. I'm pretty consistent. You know, uh, it looks pretty good from the outside, but yet I feel unsatisfied. I feel like I've failed. I feel nervous all the time because I make a lot of safe decisions because I'm so scared of those extreme high highs and extreme low lows. And if you would normally talk to me or you judge or, and make some ass assessments from the outside, you would never know any different that I feel like I make safe decisions and I feel restless, irritable and discontent on any given moment when I go down, you know, whatever path that might be. Yeah. And can we just uh, stay there for a moment? So because, a, you know, I just want sure. the listeners to really hear what you just said, Preston, and you said it so beautifully and thank you so much for sharing that. And for, in my words, telling on yourself about that. Because that's like the definition of say, staying safe and stuck, right? And the yeah. body, it's actually when you stuff it down is when it gets into the, the stuck, right? The fascia, it gets stuck in your body because mm -hmm. it's unexpressed 
something that you want to bring forward in the world, unexpressed words, unexpressed creativity, just anything that's unexpressed gets pushed down and then it festers in there. And like the body doesn't forget that you want that. It does not forget that you want that. However, you're trying to consciously with your mind, forget that you want that. And then suddenly you're snapping at your wife for no reason and it has nothing to do with her and she's in her room <laughs> shaking her hips and you're like what are you doing <laughs> and and it's actually through yeah. that shaking of the hips and the the you know wall pushing i i can offer so many different somatic experiences to move the energy that it gets expressed and then we build the courage and the confidence to talk about it and to say it and to bring it forward into the world in whatever version it's going to be so, like, if you're going to talk about, like, what the difference between surviving and thriving really truly is, it's the willingness to, to not push it down and the willingness to, in some way, express these things, these wants, these desires of your heart in, in, in some way and to feel safe enough to do it with someone who can guide you to make it real in your life. I think that's a, you, you bring up a couple good points because in so many ways um, of that stuffing is instinctual. Yeah. It's not even a thought, right? It's not like I'm going, oh, this is uncomfortable. Let me stuff it down. It's, it's instinctual, number one. And then number two, just recently, and maybe not re- whatever, it's, it's in my, in, in my uh, mind right now, but so many people go, well, why do you – you've been sober so long. Why do you still go to those meetings? Or, you know, you, you seem to be so quote unquote evolved or like you're doing pretty well, et cetera. Why do you still do that? And this is an example as, as to why, because any given moment I feel small. I feel like a little boy. I stuff my feelings and emotions. I snap at my wife and kid because it's very easy for me to be on and compassionate and loving and caring with strangers and people that I'm working with, et cetera, but where my dysfunction, where my, um, you know, trauma expresses itself is at home and intellectually, I know I don't want a husband that way. And I don't, and I know I don't want a parent that way. And I know I don't want to work that way, but it's as if I, I'm powerless over it and I'm so good at making it look good. You know, I'm I'm so good at drawing the lines in the sand. I'm so good at justifying the behavior. And the truth is it's undiagnosed, un, uh, uh, yeah, undiagnosed trauma or, 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 or it's, it's, it's so many areas in which I think I've done so much work, but yet I'm stuck in so many ways <laughs> and I'm resentful, Amy. I don't want to freaking work through this bullshit <laughs> well, it anymore. Have to I've been be, doing it for so it. long. I, I, I love it. I love how at the end your little boy did show up. <laughs> your little boy, like, yeah, was like, That's right. you, you screw just, this like, shit, Amy. Both feet on the ground and said, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so here's. Ah, I just want to eat as much sugar as I want and do exactly. whatever I want and get paid oh, for it. Oh, gosh, how about y'all. That? This is so beautiful, awesome, just amazing. This is how we get to the root of it. <laughs> and Preston, there's a lot of good news in here. It does not have to be hard. Right. So this is so that we don't get resentful. There is a repair process every time we have a rupture. 
and our ruptures, you just, I mean, you don't need to be diagnosed y'all and Preston, you don't need to be diagnosed, right? It's like, just let it be like, oh shit, there goes my pattern again. There, my pattern just totally came up. I said to a client on Friday, I said, oh, so your pattern's really one yesterday. And he was like, oh my, oh yeah. And You're like, that what? That takes all of the guilt, the shame, the death, the thought away. It's like, oh, your pattern's one to be expected. Okay. Now there was a rupture. Yeah. You didn't husband, you didn't father, you didn't show up at work the way that you wanted to do, you know, um, in a, if, if anyone out there has worked a 12 step program, we call it living in the 12 in the 10th step, right? It's like, how fast can I repair that rupture that happened in the moment mm -hmm. so that I don't get resentful about it later? And then can I just take, take a little yeah. moment to ask my little boy, ask my little girl what they need, right? Like I, I, <laughs> I mm. often, um, even if I'm with a client, I'm like, oh, my little girl's sitting on my lap too, <laughs> right? <laughs> like I bring my little girl with me everywhere I go. And, um, you know, it's such an important part of the process of the integration of that. I am a whole person. You are a whole person. All of these things not only matter, they're so important to the success of our relationships. And mm. listen, y'all, I focus on relationships. So if your relationships are what make our, our world go around, right? It's like everything. How you relate to one thing is how you relate to everything. And if we're relating to things with all of this stuff now, now not unconsciously, right? Now consciously, like, oh, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. I don't want to deal mm -hmm. with it anymore. It's like, well, we don't have to go and deal with years and years of stuff in one moment. How we start is with the actions that we're making on a daily basis, right? So just this morning before I talked to you, yeah. I had a conversation with a man that I feel very strongly with, for. And I said, oh, you know what? I didn't ask for permission before I asked that question. Um, you know, was that question okay to ask you? And he was like, absolutely. And I was like, okay, you know, and in the future, if I do that, you know, you have permission to stop me and remind me to ask for permission. He was like, oh, that's really mm -hmm. cool. Thank you. And like, that's how I show up in the world. And these things are learned with a guide, but they're, and they're so powerful because they can change your moment to moment life. And that's how we heal. We don't have to go backwards and try to heal the past. It happens naturally in the present moment because mm. all we have is now. Yeah, I think that's, um, yeah, it's, it's an entry because it's funny because when you first said, when you said, uh, oh, I didn't ask for permission, I, I kind of rolled my eyes a bit. I'm like, ask for permission for what? And that's like how I, I maybe in your in your the words we're using is like that little boy of like don't mm -hmm. don't tell me what to do what I'm I'm not you know I'm not doing uh I'm not intentionally trying to hurt you or really trying to justify my behavior but as I listened to you I relaxed my shoulders went down a little bit and I'm like wow how freeing would that be to just feel comfortable being and I would maybe even say in being respectful, compassionate, et cetera, of whoever I'm uh, I'm talking to, whether it's my wife or whomever, because I have such a tendency 
to be compassionate with you, but not at home to be compassionate with, you know, the, whatever cultural situations going on or people at work or whatever, but not at home. I feel it's like that little boy comes out and just wants to rebel and I don't want to be told and I'm going to do it the way that I'm going to do it. And, you know, if you got an issue with it, that's more on you than me. And it's just, again, I do not want intellectually, I do not want to be like that. And I don't want to, I don't want to, my instinct to draw these hard lines in the sand, but yet it's as if I'm powerless over it. Um, and on top of that, I think I'm, I think I know so much, you know what I mean? It's just so, it's so uh, like murky in my behavior, in my, um, and where does that come from? And am I able to let you be you? like, <laughs> well, girl. This is so crazy. It's on my ner- it gets on my nerves. Can my little yes. boy come out again? And it's awesome because what I remind us all is that we all have a defiant nature. And our defiant nature is what helps keep us alive. Right? So there's when my defiant right. self comes up, I'm like, oh, whoa, what do you want? <laughs> like there's a there's a and underneath all of this is an unmet need. And it's usually an unmet need that we had for years and years and years and years and years. And, years, and then we've we've developed patterns that basically say that needs never going to get met. And so what if all of us collectively, Mm. this is what I say, like healthy, sober relationships are going to change the world. Like what if all of us collectively asked each other, like, Oh gosh, what's that unmet need underneath there? And the person said, Oh gosh, I Mm. still don't feel lovable. Awesome. So how can I show you that I love you more often? I feel like I can't take up space. Awesome. You can take up as much space as you want for the next, you know, however long, always in my presence, right? It's like, how can we collectively as a Mm. community, as a tribe, as people who are choosing consciousness in the way that we all are, just ask each other these simple questions that that may make our stomachs churn a little bit. However, what we do is we focus on character defects and this and that. And it's like, why are we focusing on what's wrong and not what's right? And being defiant is a beautiful thing. Having unmet needs and wanting to pound sugar at night because you just want to do it the way you want to do it. I'm tired. I'm just tired. Okay, cool. Like, let's go do that for a few hours. Let's go play for a few hours. Let's go run around naked. Like, let's do the things that your little boy, your little girl, your little inner child wants to go and do and then let's get back to you know whatever body you're in now and do the things and i guarantee you you're going to do them with more freedom with more love with more compassion to yourself and to others Mm -hmm. and it's gonna support you in ways that like i don't know (laughs) but it's gonna support you like we'll find out when we get there and i'm still on this exploratory process you know like i'm very much in a and a healing process right now and in my, um, in my feminine. And I mean, I have all kinds of women's circles and all these things that I participate in. And I'm, you know, I'm constantly learning. I'm in three different classes right now and continuing education. COVID has provided me with some space to feel like it was okay to kind of go back to school in a lot of different ways and do just like deep, deep, deep personal work with myself on parts of my body and my mind that I'd shut off thinking that like in order to have a successful business I couldn't have these other things in my life and be a conscious sober woman and that the truth is like that's not true (laughs) 
like I and I'm and I'm receiving in a whole new way yep. and I'm like oh this is so nice I can have it all I think you put that you had said it earlier but um we I've talked about it in the rooms of recovery and we talk about mm-hmm. those big boulders and those little pebbles and the big boulders a lot of times are easy like if we're talking about staying sober um you know losing a job or a relationship or someone uh, passes away, oftentimes people, those are easy to ramp up for because we in a lot of ways can see them coming. It's the, the areas that make people fall into relapse and resort back to old behavior are those little bitty pebbles. And I always talked about that with regards to drugs and alcohol, character defects, resentments, et cetera you know, metaphorically throwing these little pebbles in my backpack thinking, you know, on their own, they're no real big deal, but they build up so much. And before you know it, I'm out in left field acting a fool uh, and wondering what, what what's going on here. I don't understand, but you talked about it. Uh, and maybe this is a lot of what I'm, you know, experiencing and working through is I've worked through a lot of boulders, what we're talking about and those things instinctually that make me rebel not want to be told what to do, my insecurity in masculinity and all that. Those are all those little pebbles that are hidden, that are, you know, that are just down, down in there, just, you know, metaphorically wreaking havoc on my body. Um, and, and I'm trying to navigate them and they're harder to pull out. They're smaller. They're, they're more impactful, uh, uh, over a long, longer period of time. Um, yeah. And maybe that's even some of the what you're talking about with the with the feminine and your business idea, you know, the what you how you view business and success and what you can and can't do. It's those just deep seated, deep rooted little pebbles that are just, you know, you think you're done and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, 100 percent. And I'm, I'm just going to challenge the word metaphorically, because what you're saying is it's not metaphorically in your body. They are in your body. There are these all these little pains. And, you know, when we're when we, if we actually tune into our physical bodies, you know, it's always a feeling first and then a thought process. So there are these little, like, I think, I think a lot of people have a hard time with that from their body because they don't, they're so detached from their body and their feelings. Yeah. Help me. So I'm glad you're going down here because almost the last couple interviews I've had, they talk about oh, yeah, uh, that guy mm-hmm. who wrote the body keeps the score and I, and I, I get it. And I do, I, I have experienced a lot of that as well, but I'd love to hear your perspective when you say, well, it's not metaphor because it's actually in your body as to what it yeah, means. So, I mean, it looks like what it I'll just give like. an example of what happened today on the call, right? When I mentioned something, um, I can't remember exactly what we were talking about at that point, but you said my stomach flipped. Right. So that's the sensation that we're looking for or like tightness in the left shoulder, right shoulder, in the jaw. But people can very much identify with the feeling in the stomach. So let's just go there. So the the flip of the stomach Mm -hmm. happens and then your brain just goes off to the races in collecting data from the computer of your brain to find all of the history and all of the times that your stomach has flipped. And usually it's going to show you like a very quick slideshow 
of all of these times where shitty things happened when your stomach was flipping. And so then the nervous system's response right. is going to be like, oh, we don't want to talk about this. We don't want to do this. Run, hide. Or in the, in, you know, the sympathetic nervous system terms, it's fight, flight, or freeze. So that's what's happening. And, it's, and yeah. if we go and we listen and we tune into the body and we put our hands on our stomach and we just say for a moment, like, oh, you're safe. We're safe. To, we're safe to keep talking about this. Yeah. Or, you know, often um, it's really cool. Like when on our, on a first call with someone, I'm, you know, I'm consistently like just reading their body and, you know, when we get into the work together, when they choose to come and, and, and invest in themselves and work with me, I'm like, Hey, what's going on with your left shoulder? And they're like, what, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I have mm. no idea. And I'm like, let's just tune into it. Oh. For a moment. And we'll tune in there. And every single time you know, a couple minutes later, it's like a memory and then, and then a release, whether it be a release yeah. of a big laugh, whether it be a release of a big cry, whether it be a release of a, just like, oh, oh my gosh. And then by the end of our first call, it's like, I feel like a thousand pounds lighter. And I'm like, awesome. So that's what I mean by it's mm. in your body. And if we ever tune in and if we listen to our language, we're talking about our body all the time. We just, as you know, humans with as animals with really big brains <laughs> we always think we can think our way out of something we need to intellectualize it to look good or to you know prove to the haters that we're actually smarter than you know they thought we were or whatever thing whatever emotional trauma we're trying to prove to the world right <laughs> i am man here right, right. and you know i love i love you know masculine men because how we just intuitively and from our conditioning will always be who we are, right? We'll always be who we are. We're not trying to change who right. we be. We're just choosing differently. And that gives you more right. freedom to be who you are. Yeah. Yeah, that's a... Uh that's such a good good way to put it because every time that i've ever um had whether it's profound personal growth experiences or gone down a road of struggle or or triumph or you know whatever that looks like i always go you know number one it was never as bad as i thought 90 99% of the stuff that i worried about never happened and i feel more relaxed and i feel more free and and, and still to this day, which is what I've talked about uh, a number of times on here, is I still restrict myself. I still stuff. I still limit what it is that I am either willing to do or um, willing to look at or willing to change. And and I, I know that every time I feel so much better, but yet my, my instinct is to resist, to defend, to justify and it's all these subtle little, and you're probably right. I, I do identify with that. It's a subtle mm -hmm. knot. It's not a big knot. It's not a huge flip anymore. It's subtle. It's a, uh, it's, I, I told my therapist, it's like a, it's like a, a constant hum in my stomach, a constant buzz, a constant uneasiness, very right. small, so small that I've kind of gotten used to it. It feels normal. And I actually, as a matter of fact, I, I did a, um, 
I did a podcast episode on it was my first EMDR experience. And, and she took me through this. It was so cool. And it was something that was, uh, it wasn't, I was, I was hiding under the table, eating mustard, just doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing in my mind, which caused this. It was part of my slideshow, which you mentioned. And the knot went away. And I'm like, holy crap. And I left the therapy session going, Mm. holy crap, the knot's not there. And then here's what I did, Amy. I Uh go, that knot, it feels so (laughs) weird not having the knot. I wonder if I could get it to go back. And I tried to force it back. I was like, let me force this uneven because this relaxation and freedom feels Mm. so unnatural. My instinct was to force it back. I'm so excited that we're talking about this. Okay, y'all. So listen to what Preston said. I'm telling you, it is so much. What a beautiful experience to have. And that's the work I do, right? Like that's the whole thing. And I often, I have two little whiteboards and I'll show them a whiteboard with nothing on it. And I'm like, okay, so when there's no, when there's nothing there, that's when our work really begins. Because how do we stay? How do we, how do we continue to live with space? We're so used to carrying around those pebbles or feeling that little subtle, not in your stomach or behind your knee or, you know, in your jaw, whatever it is that when it's not there, you miss it. And then you start playing a whole nother trick on yourself of like, how do I get that thing back? Let me go have a fight with my, and this is when those uh, patterns come up because the patterns are like, I had that there for a reason. It was keeping you alive and now it's not there. And what are we going to do? And how are we going to act? And what if this happens? And what if that happens? And da, 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 and the brain just starts to look for the history again. So it's like, how do we get comfortable with freedom? Right. You know, I mean, this is old as the, you know, biblical times of just like when they did, when people are allowed to have freedom after they're physically locked up in a place, they're like, this is too much. I'd rather go back. Right. And that's, that's the difference between, and that's where it really takes the support and the integration. And so what I found was, was missing in the traditional treatment model. And, you know, I, I went to treatment like five or six different times. I was just, it was just hard. And what I found was missing was integration, integration all day long. And it was like, okay, now just go to meetings. I'm like, oh, well, you know, like there's so much more than meetings, and there's all these subtle things. And I was determined to thrive, not just yeah. survive. And so it was like this integration and this support. Yeah. Oh, there's all that space in your belly. And what are we going to do to not fill it up? It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable, period. And is right. uncomfortable okay? Because once you get through something, like once you move one of those big boulders, you're like, oh, thank goodness, right? Like that, I thought that thing was never going to budge, like a grieving process. And then one day you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I went through the stages mm. and now I feel different. I feel free. It's the same thing with the little things. And when we move them, right. you know, I mean, I watch, I've watched people gain, you know, 30 pounds back in, after they lost 70, right? Just because it was to- totally uncomfortable. Um, you know, you watch in our recovery spaces, so many different examples I can give. And, um, that's where it takes that support and that guidance and that tribe that's speaking your language. So it's like, Oh, you feel uncomfortable too. Awesome. Let's go for a walk. (laughs) Let's do some breathing. Let's whatever. 
Um, let's eat some ice cream sometimes that's okay like I'm not saying like it's like whatever you're gonna do you're gonna do and just to keep in mind that like that's what you wanted you wanted that space right you know I think that's that's always an interesting thing to point out and and I um you know instinctually I think that uh maybe um, maybe it's a bit of a broad brush but culturally we're taught to uh change the outside things and what i mean by that is most people wouldn't think twice to if they feel overweight or they feel unhealthy or they want to make a big just let's just go to new year's resolutions how many people want to lose weight and change their lifestyle um like it's nothing and they're not scared to say oh i joined a gym i hired a personal trainer i'm doing this you know uh 60 day boot camp workout thing but yet they end up resorting back to the thing that they said that they didn't want which is they lose the weight and they go back or they change their eating habits and they go back they they um you know, they get rid of the drugs and alcohol and they go back. And that is a couple of things happen. Number one, they're not they're addressing the outside stuff. So the symptoms um, as opposed to the deep rooted stuff. And they don't have the integration, which you're talking about, which is community, accountability, the ability to have people around you that you're talk that you can talk in this way uh, to. So you have a better shot of those changes lasting, you know, long time, you know, well into the future. And the other thing, which I have the debate on with a, with a good buddy of mine who's struggling with addiction, you know, he owns a gym, he's a personal trainer, all this kind of stuff. And he still asks me, well, you know, you still have these problems with your, you know, struggles and, and uh, challenges, you know, why, why should I even start? I mean, you've been working on it for 18 years. Why should I start? And I go, dude, what if someone came to you and said, Hey, I want to lose a bunch of weight, but they said, I'm only willing to do this. And you've been doing this for 20 years. Why should I even start working out? If, if, if you still got to work out 20 years later, it's funny thinking about it like that, but that's exactly what we're talking about. How do we, how do we make adjustments for long lasting change? Um, and keep it instead of just making these thinking that, uh, you know, losing a little of a, a bit of weight or making a little bit of money is somehow going to fill the hole that we have deep within our, our soul, our gut, et cetera. And, and we're just going to fix it in, in a couple of days. It just, it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. And I guess it just doesn't surprise me that when I'm trying to will my way into something, Uh, that it doesn't last. And I usually resort right back to the thing that I've been trying to abstain from, whether it's eating, whether it's weight, whether it's, you know, waking up early, I do it for a while. And then I just resort back. And oftentimes it's worse than I was before I started. My little tagline is thriving recovery is a way of life. It's a way of life. And, and our patterns, our neural Mm -hmm. pathways, the biology, the chemistry of our bodies is going, our central nervous system, remember, is just designed to keep us safe. So it's going to, if, if you're tired, let's use, you know, some language that we've learned throughout the years, right? If you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, then, and it's hard to keep doing the thing, the nervous system knows, has the neural pathways to go and you get your lower level needs met. 
you're just not moving up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You're not getting those higher level needs met. And Thrive and Recovery is all about getting your higher mm-hmm. level needs met and having such a foundation of your lower level needs that you're able to safely continue to go up that ladder and, and climb to the places that you want to go with ease, with grace, mm. with love, with support, with all of the things. Cause it's all just so possible. And yeah. I think you're, I think you're kind of painting a bit of a picture too. And why I'm so, um, you know, I'm such a fan of support groups. Um, you know, naturally I gravitate towards AA and NA and 12 step type stuff, uh, for a number of reasons. They're free, they're everywhere, et cetera. Um, and I think that, um, there's a a one that's focused on mental health, which is called NAMI, which I'm a big fan of. Um, but because even if I'm able to make changes and let's just say long-term, some people would, would probably agree making some pretty good healthy changes for a year, two years, three years, four years down the road. That's a pretty good, good length of time, but left to my own devices. If I start to get away from those people in those support groups and those um, accountability recovery coaches or, 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 uh, you know, whatever, if I get away from them for too long, I end up working my way back into those behaviors, back into that feeling, those feelings that cause me to make decisions that I don't want to make. And so how can we stay? Uh, how can we keep that in the forefront of our mind as to who do we want to be when we grow up, quote unquote, how do we want to feel, uh, you know, keeping that whiteboard clean. How do we keep that whiteboard clean uh, long, long term and not falling back into bad habits or resorting back into, you know, into a way of being yeah, that I say connections, I don't want. Everything. And I'm just such a big fan of community and prefer like exactly like how do we get people to not only come to the realization that they need some change that they want to make some change and then plug them in you know do a lot of that deep work that I'm, I'm sure that you know a therapist does you do a lot of the you know whether it's sponsorship or mentorship that we do deep 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 work big boulders let's get and then but how do we plug into so it lasts long into the future um what are you what are your thoughts on those long term because i mean look it would be great if someone could pay you and being your program forever and ever it'd be amazing but how do you recommend people plug into um uh, something for the future after they've done mm-hmm. some deep work with you or deep work with the therapist etc yeah well the uh, one of the communities first that you things try to that plug i people always into? remind people of is and that i'm actively doing in the the several months that i'm you know working with people or years sometimes however is that I'm teaching everyone how to do this and so I support them and I watch their nervous systems learn how to do this for themselves right right like I am not done with my work with people until Mm -hmm. I can like really see them with and they're I mean you know this is their choice as well of course right but with permission it's like oh wow like look that's the thing and I point it out over and over and over again I'm like there you are again doing that awesome thing how does it feel in your body let's mirror let's let's like create the memory so I'll, I'll tell them over and over and over again I'm like 
that's the thing. Like, let's, let's kind of glue this moment into that narrow pathway, right? Let's create this and let's do it over and over and over again. So it becomes mm. your new normal. It becomes your new natural. And yeah, like, I mean, I'm right. so big on like practicing. We will play so much, you know, I'm just like, I know it seems silly and come on, let's do it again. Right. Because that's how we learn, you know, just like we learned in school, this is how we learn how to behave differently in our bodies. And the second thing that I say is um, check in with yourself moment to moment. Right. So if we're checking in with ourselves moment to moment, and if you forget one moment, then you've got the next moment. Right. So it's like if you're just checking in and asking yourself what you need, then you're going to gravitate towards continuing to want to feel good. The body, the, the central nervous system, everything wants homeostasis. And when we make homeostasis awesome, then it's going to want awesome. You know, and like I climb up the, la the ladder, like I started, <laughs> right. you know, this new tea with all these different nootropics in it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel even better. This is amazing. Right. So it's like, how do we plug into that moment to moment checking in? And then third, yes, like always connection, 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 right? Like leave me, I, you know, I live in a, in a small town. I can, I can go without seeing another human being as long as I want, kind of. I mean, I can see him outside, but I could just stay in my house. And it's like that connection is so important. And, and right. finding, here's the thing, like often, and this is a big part of what we're talking about, often as you start to heal, you notice that those people that you used to just love in the recovery rooms or in whatever space you've been in, you just don't have as much in common with them as you start to climb up that ladder and, and feel different in your body moment to moment. And so that choice to, to, to walk mm. away from those relationships is like a grieving process. And I support people to do that often. You know, they're just like, gosh, yeah. I just don't identify anymore, Amy. And I'm like, that's okay. Like, you know, like we just, we, we're going to find some new people that you identify with. And so, of course, um, remembering that it's okay to let go of people, too, that are no longer serving you and find other communities. You know, I mean, with, with, the, with all of the recovery online now and that's not going to change for a while if, if ever like now it's just we've up leveled our whole recovery process I mean you can go to meetings in Australia and Hawaii and um, not just 12-step meetings you can go to refuge and um, there's life ring meetings online there's smart recovery meetings online there's trauma you know meeting up meeting rooms there's just everything you can possibly find and it takes that courage and that confidence and those needs getting met moment to moment so that you can go and show up in that room and say, hi, I'm Amy. And, right. you know, I don't identify anymore. And just like, I'm Amy. And that's, like, that's you know, it takes courage. It takes confidence. Yeah. You know, I, um, I have a circle of trauma-informed practitioners that, you know, I, that I convene with on a regular basis where we can just talk our talk and talk about, you know, what's on our minds and our healing processes. And so um, plugging into community is very important. So with those three things, if you're checking in with yourself and, and doing these things, like it could be a whole new experience of life for you. Yeah, I think that, you know, you bring up so many good points. And I also want to point out for listeners is how you know, 
there are times where, um, you know, there are times where I need to be in a one-on-one relationship with the therapist. There are times when I need to be plugged into a paid group. In other words, uh, you know, sometimes I don't listen as well unless I'm paying for it and I'm not, and, and I sometimes have to, uh, mm-hmm. pay enough that it's a little bit uncomfortable. So I show up. There are also times where I need the free, you know, bit of uh, long-term free support groups. I mean, I can't tell you how valuable it was, Amy, for me when I went to South America. Like I was, I had all the the good things from my recovery and changing my life that, that one could be on paper. Like I wasn't meant to go to college. I, I paid my way through college. I, I went to school for a year and a half before I got one college credit because I was learning all the things I was supposed to learn in high school. I transferred to Texas A&M. I couldn't even have imagined doing that. And then I went to South America for five months and I was going to meetings there. I couldn't even speak the language, but I was going to meetings. I actually, you know, one of the craziest things that that happened to me was before I went I was in in the 12-step realm they have conventions and and conferences and I met this guy from Argentina uh at the Texas as a matter of fact I think it was in San Antonio now that I'm thinking about it it was the Texas State Convention and this guy says hey if you're ever in you know Buenos Aires Argentina uh my home group is blah 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 right we always say that as if someone's going to magically show up And I'm like, oh, that's funny. I'm going down there, you know, in like nine months or something, whatever. So I'm down there in Argentina. I'm talking to my sponsor on the phone. I'm doing, I'm having the time of my life, but I'm going to meetings. They were all in Spanish. It was challenging because I couldn't communicate very well because I didn't speak very good Spanish. But I remember just struggling. And I was like, you know, I'm going to try to hit this lunch meeting. And I was going to be late. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't go. My you know, guy. I'm, like, I'm just going to go anyway. Yeah. I walk in and guess who I see? The guy from Texas that I met nine months before that uh, it was it was he was literally the, the a life raft. And I he said, hey, let's go out to eat. He took me to a polo match. I talked to him for like four hours. Speak like, English. Ever shut up. And I was like, I haven't been able to I haven't been able to speak English to someone like this deeply. And, you know, in three months and four months. But like the va- I've been to meetings in in Singapore. I've been to meetings in England. I've been to meetings in Bali. I've been, I've been to meetings all over the world. So and I and I I, uh, I do like what we've done virtually because so many people have talked about, Oh, we could meet virtually. We can meet virtually. Well, now with COVID everybody's been forced to go online. So they're having to like, they're having to like use these virtual outlets that I think are so freaking important because you can't always have insurance to go see your therapist. You can't always have the money to join a mastermind. You can't always have it. So you have to have both in a lot in, in so many scenarios and it's got to be long-term it's got to be a lifestyle change and you got to figure out what what is your what does your recovery look like where is your tribe and you also mentioned sometimes you outgrow a tribe and you got to go find a new tribe but your job is to find it your job is to do the work your job is to go through the couple of therapists or go through the different coaches or go through the different recovery rooms until you find your tribe to hear your message so you can change your life and change, you know, hopefully yes. generations. Be the uh, transitional character on. in, in um, your life. And, um, and a, I love that t- because, because, 
investing in yourself, you are the most important person in your life and investing in yourself with your most valuable resource, your time, and then backing it up with, you know, how you earn with your money is an amazing, incredible experience that, you know, we all, we all deserve and desire. And then always having the support groups that will be there for the lifetime of our lives and beyond. It's just so beautiful. You know, I love being able to hit up a meeting and, or just go hop in a zoom room for like pre for some community of people I haven't seen in years. And it's so nice and beautiful. I think uh, something too to point out for newbies is is oftentimes it's very um, it's really challenging so uh, so often when someone decides they've got that nagging in the back of their mind or in their gut or whatever that they know they want to make a change and they know that the way that they're living and the people they hang around with and even their family and lifetime friends are just something's off and they make the decision to make a change or to go down that path, how important it is to plug in, to plug in often and to, to like you, you kind of mentioned it where this morning process, I remember feeling guilty, um, feeling shame, feeling guilt when I was going down a path that was different from my family and my community. It, it was like, they all looked at me like, you know, I kept getting arrested and they're like, you know, Preston, you need to, you know, you need to make a change. You need to cut back. And I go, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. I found the way I found, you know, found the higher power. And they're like, Hey, 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 Whoa, Whoa. What are you doing, bro? You just need to cut back. Like, and then the, the what it took for me to, I remember talking to my sponsor going, well, th these are my friends. I've known them my whole life. Like they've, you know, like they're my family. How do I not hang around with them or whatever? And uh, it was only because I had that support and I had a mentor, a sponsor. I had meetings I was going to every single day that helped me kind of get through that where I got okay being friends in, with my friends and family just in a different way. And like now I'm not in the rooms every single day, every day, like I was in the beginning, but it was important because if I didn't have that support, I would have just, it would have got too uncomfortable. I would have been on my own. Exactly. I would have been trying to figure the pattern out on my own. And the pattern I would have back to what I was used to. Um, and, and tell me. A hundred, I, I like how you say that. What I'll tell you what, um, Amy, I've, um, I've, uh, I want to wrap up okay. here and I want you okay. to plug a couple things, but I have a really serious question. <laughs> Tex-Mex all day long. <laughs> Tex-Mex or Cal-Mex? Come on. Te thank you. Thank you. So to, to, to let people in on it, which I don't know that we fleshed it out enough. So you from San Antonio, you went to the University of Texas. I went to the, the bitter rival, Texas A&M, and we think we're like the only people on the planet that have a yeah. rivalry like that number one. And then now you live in California, right? And you have for a good amount of time. I, uh, I actually didn't even, th this, we talked a little bit about, uh, before we got on was when I moved out of Texas, realizing how much of an influence the Mexican culture had on me, not only from my friends, um, but, uh, but even the food, I remember going up to Philadelphia and people would be like, Oh, here's some <laughs> Mexican food or, you know, whatever it was. And I'm like, 
what is this crap? I didn't even know Calmex existed, <laughs> number one. And I didn't know any other variation of Tex-Mex existed just because that's all I knew. Like, I'm going, what is this stuff? This is crazy. Do, do you have, are there Cal-Mex any good Tex-Mex places There's out a there? There's like really like more up, Cal-Mex um, near Sonoma up in Northern California that I yeah. know of that have more of that Texas influence. However, no, I mean, it's just one of a kind. And, you know, when the palate knows that, yeah. you know, like, I mean, I, I haven't had queso in like years because I just yeah. don't go home that often. And when I, I just, I eat really clean now, oh, but like, gosh. oh gosh, there's just nothing like Tex-Mex. It's just so good. It's all just all running yeah. together and it's just freaking delicious it's... and amazing and all the different sauces and oh, so good. So good. <laughs> And it's way less expensive. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, when I, I went to uh, it, and I, I really, um, yeah, I was like, for this sure. Same meal in Texas would be like five bucks. It's like twenty five dollars here. <laughs> right? Yeah, no crap. There's a place in Philadelphia, and it took me a while to find it called El Limon in Philadelphia. They they have a couple different. Um, couple different locations <laughs> but it was called el limon and that was like I, I was like my people when i ta- I, I tapped the lady on the shoulder and she and she turned around and uh started speaking spanish to me i'm like oh my god i'm home this is so amazing and then moving to columbus um there's a pretty big uh, mexican population here and i'm just like I love this stuff. I can't believe <laughs> I it. <did. laughs> but uh, but anyway, I'm, I always I'm glad thought burritos were way too correctly. big. I prefer tacos. Uh, <laughs> Tex Mex one. Um, how do people? <laughs> right on. How uh, I've I've absolutely loved our conversation. Um, and you were right in that you love talking about this stuff because this is these are the conversations absolutely. I love having. Uh, the so best way was, to get to amazing. know me how is can on people Instagram find you? How can they get a hold at of Thrive and Recovery with Amy? at Thrive in Recovery with Amy. And it's like so many videos on there. You can really get to know my personality and all that stuff. And then if you like what you see and you feel connected with me and you want to hop on a call, then you can just um, direct message me. And if you're not on Instagram, I'm the same at Facebook, at Thrive in Recovery with Amy. And then I have that good old-fashioned website, and that's my name, amyguerrero.com. And um, if you'll just put that in the show notes, that'd be awesome how to spell my last name. That's amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. It was such a pleasure and it was uh good. It was nice yes, to meet, I love uh, it. in a very <laughs> roundabout way. Okay. Good old Thank you. Text. Bye for now. <laughs>